As we've been talking about prayer these last three weeks, this is our fourth sermon. We've got one more after this. We have to name the elephant in the room. And that's the fact that sometimes God does not answer prayer. I think we all know that that's true. Sometimes God does not answer prayer. And what do we do when our prayers go unanswered? How do we deal with it? How should we cope with it? How should it inform the way we continue to pray? Well, somewhere in the matrix of our prayer life should be space for us to examine whether we ourselves are the cause of our unanswered prayers. Now, that may seem to go against the grain of a heavy emphasis on the grace of God, which does not require us to earn our salvation or be perfect before God. That's absolutely true. But the Bible does have something to say about reasons why we personally may hinder our own prayers. And that may come as a shock to some of you, but it's true. Some things we can do hinders our prayers. We might ask, well, what are they? Well, let's get right into it. The first thing that hinders prayer is doubt. James 1 and 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Now, we might be thinking, right, isn't there like a little bit of doubt when we ask God for things? Isn't like doubt present in some way, like even just a little bit when we pray? Well, I want to propose to you this morning that we might be confusing weak faith for doubt. And I don't believe they're the same things. A fledgling faith or a weak faith can accomplish a lot in prayer, but that's not the same as doubt. Prayers don't go unanswered because we don't have enough faith. Jesus makes it clear in Luke 17 and 6 that if we have faith like a grain of mustard seed, we could say to a mulberry tree, now I don't, I've never seen a mulberry tree, I suppose we have mulberry trees here in the United States, but any tree is hard to uproot. He says, if we have faith that is just the size of a seed, we could say, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So what is doubt? Well, doubt is a wavering duplicity in the heart and in the mind that doesn't really trust in the goodness of God. Doubt isn't weak faith, because I think we are all somewhere on this spectrum. It's kind of like the stock market. You know, I've been watching stocks lately, and like the numbers are always like, in any minute of the day, like the, the price of a stock is like go, going up and down, up and down, and then the day ends and it lands in this price. Our faith is like that. It's always sort of like going, you know, getting stronger and weaker at times, and it's always sort of ebbing and flowing. And over time, our faith grows and gets strong, but there are times when our faith is weak. But 
doubt is not really trusting in the goodness of God, that God truly has good intentions for us. And what it causes is half-hearted prayer that really is just done out of a sense of obligation, sort of to cover all the bases. In other words, it is not, it, it doesn't lead with a confidence in God, but it's just done sort of like, well, let me just throw this out there, and maybe that'll work as well. And that's not the kind of prayer we're supposed to have. One thing that I want you to know this morning when we're talking about doubt is that doubt kills our prayers before they even get a chance to get off the ground. And James says here in this passage that if our asking is characterized by doubt, we shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. That may seem like strong medicine, but that's what he says. That if we, are, if we doubt, we're sort of wavering in our heart and in our mind. Which means prayer should be characterized by faith. Again, it doesn't have to be the strongest faith, but it has to be characterized by faith and not doubt. We have to believe the things we're praying for, at the very least, believe that God is able to answer our petition for the things that we're praying for, believing in the goodness of God. And many, you know, many, pro- many professing Christians are practical atheists in this regard in terms of how their faith functions. We may have a knowledge of God in our mind, but if faith hasn't truly ignited in our heart, our prayers as I said, they don't, they don't really even get off the ground. Now, one way to strengthen our faith as sort of a remedy to this is to be reminded of prayers God has already answered. So here's an application point for you. Counting my blessings recharges my confidence in God's goodness and willing to answer. So when you find yourself struggling with doubt, one of the things you have to do is take inventory of the prayers God has answered, and that takes some intentionality and causes you to slow down and remember. It's good for us to remember prayers that God has answered, and sometimes it takes time to do that. One of the things I think is helpful for us to do is take a day of the week where you ask for nothing but simply recount all of the prayers and things God has answered and done for you. And it may take you taking inventory of the past year or past 10 years or your whole life, but a heart that is grounded not in doubt but in faith has to remember the things that God has done. So the second reason why prayers go unanswered is disobedience. I want to look at three verses here real quick. And again, I'm not sort of going into an in-depth exposition of these verses, but I think the power is that these verses exist. And that's good and instructive for us to see. The first is Proverbs 28 and 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to God's law, even their prayers are detestable. The King James Version, which I grew up on, says, 
For those who keep not God's commandments, even their prayers are an abomination. That's pretty heavy. Their prayers are detestable. John 9, 31 says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he does listen to the one who worships him and obeys. Now, we're all sinners, but we're talking about someone whose life is characterized by sinning. Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to my prayers. And for those of you youngsters who may not know what iniquity is, it's just another, it's a fancy word for sin or rebelling against God's word. And if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had sort of made a, a special place for some moral rebellion, something that I enjoy doing, and I know it goes against God's commandments, well, my prayers are gonna be hindered. I wanna say this, and I think this is instructive for us and maybe good to write down, that personal holiness is the handmaiden to prayer. There's a famine right now, I think, even in the church of personal holiness, a commitment to personal holiness. And shortly before he died, James Packer said that the biggest deficiency in the church today is personal holiness. And I have to admit that the more that I grow as a pastor, the more I'm convinced that what you all need from me as a pastor is my personal holiness. That that is one thing that I need to be committed to more than anything else is a sense and commitment to personal holiness. And I want to say that though you may not be a pastor, your prayer life needs your commitment to personal holiness because God cares about it. And when you live in habitual sin, one of the things it does is it robs you of your confidence to go before God in prayer. You'll never come boldly to the throne of grace if your life is in moral rebellion against God. Now that may be hard for some of us who are struggling with habitual sin, and I wanna, I wanna say this. If there is indeed a struggle and you are bringing those struggles to God, that's different. That is not surrendering to a sin and calling something that is evil good. So we all struggle with sins, and we all wrestle at times with things that we fall back into, and maybe for some of us, there are certain sins we will struggle with for our entire lives. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the person who has made a habit out of sinning and thinks that it's okay and really has no uh, sort of effort or heart conviction about something that God calls evil. And we've sort of made peace with it. Like, yeah, this is just who I am. This is, this is what I'm going to do. That's not what this is talking about. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone who is struggling with sin and knows it's not acceptable and is fighting against it. Are those prayers of that person heard? Absolutely they're heard. So this is talking about someone who shrugs off the commandments of God with no care for God's own heart for holiness and purity. 
If you find that God isn't answering your prayers, you may want to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And when you think about the writer of many of the Psalms, David, David would often offer up his righteousness to God as a reason why God should answer him. And we know that David was not perfectly morally righteous. But the general posture of his heart and the general trajectory of his life was one of pursuing righteousness. Does, does, that, does that make sense? Our lives ought to be about pursuing righteousness. We will fail at times. Our prayers are not hindered because we fail at times. But the general shape of our lives ought to be of pursuing righteousness, pursuing the holiness of God, and pursuing obedience. Our prayers are hindered when we abandon that. Here's an application point. A disobedient life is not victorious in prayer, or a life characterized by disobedience is not victorious in prayer. The third thing that can be hindering my prayers are bad relationship with my wife. And this is particularly uh, pertinent for you men, for you husbands, or soon one day to be husbands. I want you to pay close attention to this verse, 1 Peter 3 and 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. I feel like this is not a well-known verse. Because if it was, many Christian men over the centuries who have mistreated their wives would have done better or known better. This is a, a sober warning that um, you cannot just treat your wife, husbands, any way you want to. And it demonstrates that prayer is conditional. It absolutely is conditional. You cannot be filled with doubt and expect your prayers to be answered. You cannot sin habitually and expect God to not care. And a man cannot dishonor his wife and expect his prayers to be heard. So men, the background to this is we have power over our wives. We have physical power. And men often have financial power over their wives. And sometimes we can be rough and gruff, right? We can be aggressive and we can sort of run roughshod over our wives. And this passage of scripture is saying uh, that God is holding out answered prayer by saying, you don't get to mistreat her. You need to love her. You need to live with her in an understanding way. You need to honor your wife and be considerate and sensitive to her feelings if you want me to hear you. And all the women said, Amen. There's really not a whole lot more to say on that, men. If you want God to hear your prayers, don't trample on your wife's heart and emotions. Be sensitive to her. Be considerate. Honor her. She's not only your wife, but a sister 
in the Lord and a fellow heir with Christ and the kingdom. So that's number three, bad relationship with my wife. I guess on the flip side of that, before we move on to the next point, is I couldn't think of a verse. There may be one in there, but wives, you too, on some level, you can't mistreat your husband and expect God to not care about that. Number four is impure motives. And there's a few verses I have here. The first verse is something we covered last week where James 4.3 says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now the word there, passions, in the original language is the word hedone, where we get the word hedonism from. And it means pleasure or delight. And it refers to sensual desires or praying lustfully. I don't know who needs to hear that, but someone does. Praying lustfully, right? In other words, God does not answer prayers that are born out of sensual lust. Now, you would not think a mature Christian would pray this way, maybe a teenager, but I'm sure there are cases where people don't realize that they pray for things lustfully or sensually, and James is saying that God is not going to grant the kind of request that will lead you down the path of sin. Another example of praying um, and God not answering is praying to impress people, Matthew 6 and 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now that may not be something in our church that we see a whole lot of, but I've seen it in churches. Um, and um, when the Pharisees prayed publicly, they weren't really praying to God. They were putting on a show. And I think that's what this is warning us against, is when we pray, not praying for others to see and hear us, not praying so that people would see us. And I guess that's the danger of public prayer. So as much as I want to encourage us all to be willing to be called on to pray publicly, there is a danger because some people have taken it and used it as sort of a way to put the spotlight on themselves and put themselves in the limelight. And it flows out of a sense, of course, of pride. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They don't, they're not really praying to God. They're just praying to be seen. They have the reward. God's not going to reward their prayers because they've been rewarded by, that's the reward they want. They don't really want God to answer a prayer. They want people to think well of them. And Jesus says, well, they have their reward because people see somebody, sometimes people who, who, who pray these super long and, you know, fancy prayers, and God says, that's their reward. And then there's the prayer that tries to impress God. This is sort of the flip side of the person who uh, does what verse six, uh, verse five of Matthew six says in verse seven, and when you pray, 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. So, you know, people who try to impress others in public prayer often end up trying that in private with God, right? So you've got these super fancy public prayers, and then you take that into your prayer closet, and you say something like, you know, oh, God of magnificent beneficence, you know, before, all whom, all, before whom all heaven and earth doth pay homage, or something like that, you know? You know, and, you know, as if God's like, oh, oh get a load of this guy, you know? <clears throat> so here's an application point for you. If you want God to hear your prayers, uh, just be real. Just be real with God. I'm not saying there's not a time and place for saying something really eloquent to God about God's character. But I think, and I say this from experience because I grew up in an atmosphere where, where people were encouraged to pray like that. And at some point I realized that I was not really praying thoughtfully. I was just like a machine gun trying to spit out as many fancy words as I possibly could, and my heart, my mind was in it, but my heart really wasn't, and I wasn't really communicating with God. And I think one thing that's helpful for us is pray as if God was sitting across the room from you on your couch. Talk to God that way, as if you were sharing a cup of coffee with God and he was sitting in your living room across from you on the couch, right? You wouldn't say, oh, magnificent you know, creator of all beneficence. I mean, you would just, you say, how are you? Well, God, here's what's going on in my life. That's how you talk to him, I would think. I mean, you may bow before him, or, but you know what I mean, right? So be real with God. That's the point. Be real with God. Say things that are true and real and don't pretend because God's not impressed by it. I think that's the key, right? You're not impressing God. You may impress your neighbor. You may impress yourself. Boy, I really know how to say fancy things to God. But that doesn't impress God. What God wants is the sincerity and truthfulness of the heart, to talk to him in real ways. So this may be a, the biggest hurdle for us, and we talked about it, I think, in our first and second sermon. We don't realize that we can just talk to God. It's okay. Because the name of our series, of course, is Talking to God. Now, what's another reason God won't hear us when we pray? Well, surprisingly, no concern for the poor and oppressed. That's right. Isaiah 1, 15 and 16 says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. You oppress your workers. Now, the context of this is employers whose only concern is the bottom line, right? The sort of Ebenezer Scrooge thinking that they can, Ebenezer Scrooges of the world, thinking they can come to God and God will hear their prayers when they've shut up the, their heart towards the needs of their neighbor. But the principle here applies to each and every one of us. If you don't love your neighbor, if you don't care about your neighbor who is in need, those who are suffering materially, Expect to have your prayers unanswered. This is important. 
In other words, if the horizontal the, if the horizontal's not gonna be right if the vertical isn't right, right? So, so let me flip that. The, the, the vertical won't be right if the horizontal isn't right. If I don't love my neighbor as myself, right, my love for God is clouded, right? I have to love others. I have to look and find ways and care and ask God to open up opportunities for me to recognize ways in which I can be a blessing to someone who's in need. Care, caring for the poor and oppressed, caring for someone in need. And number six, my prayers may go unanswered, not because I'm doing anything wrong, but because God wants to show me something. 2 Corinthians 12 and 7, Paul says, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. In another place, he says, you know, because of the abundance of revelation I had received. So God allowed some type of suffering in Paul's life because he had received so much revelation. And this is what Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What the affliction was, we don't know. It could have been a person that harassed Paul, a personal struggle or sin, or it could have been some type of physical malady. We just don't know. But instead of removing it, God wanted Paul to learn to lean on him for grace. It wasn't that God didn't hear or that God disqualified his prayers because of sin. Even though God didn't give Paul the answer he wanted, neither was God silent or absent. And I think that's helpful for all of us to know that sometimes God doesn't answer, not because of, of sin but because there is something he wants to show us or teach us that can only be accomplished as we endure whatever trial or affliction is present. In other words, in that case, answering the prayer would have been worse for Paul's spiritual well-being. Maybe you can think of your own life that way and think of some things where God didn't answer and it was, or didn't give you what you wanted and you realize later it was the best thing for you. So God sometimes doesn't answer, not because he doesn't hear, but because he is sanctifying us, he is maturing us, he is strengthening our faith and he wants to keep us close. You know, you're close to people you need, aren't you? When you're not in need, you're not close to people. When you don't need other people, you're not close to them. This is sort of, as a side note, the mystery of Christian community. We all say, we want community, we want community, we want community, but the curse of our affluent sort of culture and lifestyle is that we don't think we need people because we are materially satisfied. The truth is we do need each other. We need each other maybe in other ways, but because, you know, we're not starving and we, we're going to be able to pay the light bill this Thursday. We don't think we need others, but we do. 
And this is, again, just going down this rabbit hole for a moment, this is the ways in which um, wealth and affluence can be used as an instrument of Satan. And often the poor and the needy are, are far more transparent and close to God in their, you know, in their palpable sense of need. So we have to remind ourselves um, as relatively affluent people that we need God, we need God, we need God. That's why I think it's helpful every morning, as I said a few sermons ago, to wake up, you roll out of the bed, you put your feet on the floor, and the first thing you should say is, God, I need you today. And also recognize the ways we need others or the way other people need you. So I suspect many of our prayers are like this, our unanswered prayers are like this. God allows us to linger in a trial to mature our faith and develop our reliance upon his grace, which means some prayers unanswered are actually a grace from God. God wanted Paul and us, he wants to learn, wants us to learn that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And finally, number seven, some prayers go unanswered because we don't pray according to the will of God. Now, this is a tricky one. Let me read a verse first, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Now, John Piper says that the first clause of this verse make it seem like prayers are completely contingent on praying according to God's will, and the second half of the verse makes it sound like we can pray whatever we want and just believe and know that God will answer and grant it. So this is tricky, because on one hand we have verses like, you, you do not have because you do not ask, and another verse that says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock it shall be opened to you. But here it says if we ask anything according to his will. So the question is, how can we know God's will? How can we know God's will? How can we possibly know God's will? Which one is it? Ask anything I want or pray only according to God's will? Well, in some ways, it's both. We know that prayer changes things, and we know that people in Scripture did not always have a revelation of what God's will was. They prayed from their heart things that they felt burdened about, and God changed the course of history at times because of the prayers of his people. You may feel that God doesn't answer your prayer but if you're honest, you'll have to admit, for those of you who say God never answers my prayers, that God has answered prayers. And often when you prayed those prayers, you didn't have sort of like a, a script from God about what exactly to pray. So part of the spirit-filled life is that many of the things we are praying is in line with the will of God and bears out the heart of God. And the more we are transformed into the likeness and image of Jesus, the more we tend to pray things that conform to the very heart of God. And at the same time, as Tim Keller has said, our 
our prayers have like a safety valve on them. You know, um, a lot of, you know, a gun has a safety valve on it. A lot of powerful things do. Um, and he calls this the paradoxical principle of prayer. In other words, if we actually got everything we'd asked for, we'd be in a lot of trouble. It could cause a lot of damage. Now, some of you may have a testimony that certain things you prayed for God gave you and afterwards you wish you never prayed that. I don't know, does anybody have, just like show of hands, does anybody have a prayer like that? All right, couple. I have a prayer like that. In my 20s, I, I, I was at a job and I wanted to work the graveyard shift because I just thought, what an incredible thing to do. I could work all night and have all day to myself. It would be great. And boy, did I pray so hard for it. I mean, I, I, was, I was immature. I was young in my faith and I was young, a young person. I think I was 18 or 19. And I wanted it so bad, I, I just couldn't see any other way. And God gave me that. And it was horrible. I worked for three years in a grocery store stocking the shelves from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I hated every minute of it. It was like the worst time of my life ever. I hated it. I hated my job. I hated what I did. And it felt like, I mean, I just thought, why did I pray that? But, I mean, I was stuck in it for years. And, oh, and here's the thing. I slept all day. I didn't have the day to myself. It was terrible. You know, I'd wake up, you know, at 4 o'clock after being asleep all day, and I'd have a headache. And, I mean, it was just terrible. I hated it. But sometimes God... Um, Sometimes God gives us things that we ask for, but often because he loves us and doesn't want us to destroy ourselves, he doesn't give us things that he knows will destroy us. Garth Brooks once sang a song. Yes, that profound theologian, Garth Brooks. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. It's a good song. But the truth is, in closing, I can't really know the will of God in its fullness. So I have to pray and take a chance by faith that it lines up with God's will. Because we cannot all exactly know God's will. Now, Scripture reveals to us much of God's will. So we can pray in line with the word of God. But there are circumstances that, of course, the Bible doesn't address uniquely, specifically in your life, and you just have to take a shot and pray and know that God hears you, God loves you, God invites you to make your request known. As we said last week, ask boldly, surrender completely. But I do want to say this about the prayers that God does seem to answer quickly. The things that are granted quickly and immediately seem to be the things that are in his perfect will. I don't know how else to explain it but that. And so here's a final application point. Prayers that are closer to the heart of God, closer to the will of God, are more likely to get answered. Prayers that are closer to God's heart the Lord's Prayer is a perfect example of that. 
I don't know that I've ever prayed anything in the Lord's Prayer and it not happened. It's just, I mean, I think that's why Jesus gave it. It was sort of like, these are things, if you pray these things, it'll always happen. And it does. The kingdom is coming. When you ask for God's will to be done, it's done. When you ask God to forgive you, he forgives you. When you name that you need to forgive others, he strengthens you to do that. When you say, God, lead me not into temptation, he doesn't. When you say, deliver me from evil, he does. You see where I'm going with this? Right? The things that are close to the heart of God get answered at least quicker. Some of those other things we seek God and pray sometimes for years for, and God sanctifies us through those things and often does answer those things as well. But we should all examine ourselves, not out of a sense of legalistic guilt, but to make sure we're in the faith. So as a quick recap, the things that hinder our prayers are doubt, disobedience, mistreating your spouse, impure motives, neglecting those in need, God possibly trying to show me something, and not praying according to God's will, the paradoxical principle. A couple takeaways before we end in prayer. I know our sermon this morning was kind of like a lesson, and I hope you've learned a little bit. Just two takeaways, and I, I didn't have them highlighted, I should have, but you can write this down. Don't minimize the answers you are receiving. That's, that's a way to counterbalance unanswered prayer, is not to discount or minimize the answers you are receiving. That's number one. Here's number two, the second takeaway. God never does nothing in answer to prayer. God never does nothing in answer to prayer. In other words, God never just ignores prayer without any type of, even the ones he doesn't answer because we're disobedient, he's trying to do something in us, like create awareness and bring us to repentance. So God never does nothing in answer to prayer. And don't minimize the answers you are receiving. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you... you Invite us to come boldly before the throne of grace, which conveys a certain measure of confidence that we have in prayer. I pray, Lord, this morning that nothing we've said robs us of our confidence before you. But rather, O oh God, that you do care about the posture of our heart when we pray. And you do care, O oh God, that our lives are conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus and that we are pursuing righteousness and personal holiness and are mindful not to jettison your commands, but that all of these things work together to prop up and build up a faithful life. We know we're justified by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. But we know, oh God, that prayer is conditional. That some things we do can hinder our prayers. And so, Lord, we pray that you give us hearts and minds to examine ourselves, to examine our walk. And, Lord, that as we do that, our confidence would not be robbed to believe that we can't come to you. 
but rather once we've examined ourselves to come before you even boldly, even more boldly, and say, Lord, I am not doing, we are not doing the things that disqualify us, so I ask you even more to hear my prayer, O God. Hear our prayers, hear this prayer, and strengthen us in fellowship with your son Jesus that our prayers may be heard. Not because we're perfect, but because Christ, your son, lived perfectly in our place. And you see us through the lens of his perfect righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.